0: Welcome to 600 Pixels, a podcast that goes below the fold of the World Wide Web to see how professionals in the industry design and build better digital experiences for everyone. I'm Caitlin Studley, Director of Culture here at LifeBlue.
1: And I'm Travis Self, a front-end developer here at LifeBlue. And on this week's episode, we are talking with Nicole Oakes, who is another front-end developer here at LifeBlue. And we are talking about accessibility in web development. Uh, What does it mean? What are the best practices? And we talk about workflows that set out projects to be inclusive from the start, including tips and free tools you can integrate into your own workflows. So let's get into the conversation.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you. We're very glad that you are here with us today. Uh, for those who don't know, Nicole is a front-end developer with us here at LifeBlue. And what team are you on? I am on Team Nova,
2: so we handle a lot of the support items that come through LifeBlue for all of the sites that we've built.
0: Fantastic. Uh, why don't we get started? Can you talk to us a little bit about your background? Maybe give us kind of a, a brief bio about yourself and maybe how you ended up working in web development?
2: Yeah, sure. I uh, I feel like I've always had a love for web development. It started at a very young age. I was homeschooled, so I had a lot of opportunity to work on side projects while I was learning normal school stuff. Uh, my dad also worked from home, and he has an electrical engineering background and got into a little bit of software development, so he teamed up with a few of the dads in the homeschool group and started teaching some basic programming classes for the uh, high school students in the homeschool group. And that's really what spurred my interest in computers and programming, coding, and all of that. So going into college, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, I had picked up a couple of contract jobs in high school making some rather terrible websites. <laughs> Pretty embarrassing, <laughs> we've but all, we've all done that. we have to start somewhere. Right Are now. they like
0: <laughs> ge- like GeoCities-level websites?
2: Oh, it's it's like... Template makers and WordPress didn't have the
1: marquee yeah. text that would scroll across the top of the page. Not quite that.
0: Or terrible. like the text that I would follow your mouse <laughs> around. Dude, those were yes,
1: the golden age of the internet.
2: Truly they really were. They really were beautiful. I, I, I wouldn't mind just making like a spoof site, like a '90s site. You they know, did for yeah oh, Captain I, Marvel.
0: Marvel. That was pretty they did.
2: Good. Oh, I totally missed that. Oh yeah, that's so cool. So, yeah, I just did, like, a couple contract jobs in high school, went straight into college for um, computer information systems with a specialization in web development, um, got my first internship right out of college with a small web agency, where that's really where I learned a lot of what I know now, and uh, jumped through a couple of pretty terrible jobs before I landed in life blue, and I'm here to stay forever.
0: <laughs> we hope so. Um. So I know you have several siblings. Several is probably an understatement. Uh, Did any of them uh, follow uh, the web design, web development path as well? Or are you the the lone ranger?
2: Well, we have yet to see. Um, I do still have some younger siblings. I have 10 siblings, and I am the second oldest. They're all biological, one at a time, no twins. It's crazy. but um,
0: Kudos to your mom. I
2: have a, a brother who just... Graduated with a degree in graphic design, so he seems to have an interest in digital things. But so mm-hmm. far, it's only me who has this bug, this
0: gift. <laughs> this
1: bug?
2: I don't know. <laughs> it's like an itch, you know. That's I gotta, a, I gotta do the the computer things. That's a
1: pun right there. Get it, get it. And you work on a lot of bugs on Nova, so I do. You guys are used to bugs.
2: Yes, yeah, some of my own, some not my own. <laughs>
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, So when you started out in development, were you building websites? What kind of stuff were you working on? And maybe how has your technical ability progressed or maybe shifted or your focus kind of shifted as you've grown in your skill set?
2: Yeah. So when I first started building websites, responsive websites weren't even a thing yet. So everything was just static on the page. And that was rather nice. But um, as I've gotten more into this field. Of course more tools are now available and a lot of great you know things to work with for development to make that easier. And responsive development um, has you know progressed in all of these new smartphones and that's been really exciting. And then uh, of course, you know recently we've been diving into web accessibility, allowing people with either temporary or permanent disabilities to be able to access your website no matter where they are from.
1: What a great segue, because that's (laughs) what we're talking about today. Uh, We are talking about web accessibility, and uh, Nicole in particular has given, you've given talks to a group that you're a part of. Yeah. Tell us about the group.
2: Yeah, it's this really great group here in DFW. They're actually all over the world. Um, They have, uh, it's called Women Who Code. And they have meetups here in DFW on a weekly, or not a weekly, a monthly basis, and sometimes a couple times a month. And just talking about all things um, code and what's involved in that and, you know, different topics of interest. And one of those things I think that is often overlooked, but ought not to be, Mm -hmm. is web accessibility. So I was able to give a, a talk to them a couple months ago about web accessibility. We just did like a lightning talk real quick, kind of broad look at what web accessibility is, and everyone was really excited about it and wanted to know more. So they asked me back for a full hour talk and um, got to dive in a little bit deeper and explore more
0: about it. That's awesome. That's great, yeah. uh for the original lightning talk, it seemed like you helped people kind of get their feet wet. People who maybe were new to web development and maybe just hadn't thought about the work that they were doing through this lens before. So, yeah, it was it's, it was it's pretty really interesting,
2: even people who have a lot of experience in web developments aren't even aware of this or you know are just now becoming aware of it. Um, I think that uh, it's become a lot more important to people now that digital is kind of our main. Way of gathering information, and if you can't read or listen to that information, then it's kind of pointless to have it there.
0: Well, and I think across industries for lots of different businesses, including some of the clients that we've worked with, it tends to be such an afterthought. It tends to be a thing that uh, businesses are reacting to instead of proactively trying to be accessible and reach different demographics. It tends to be reactive whether they get sued or someone points out these issues to them. So I'm curious to know, you know what you guys think in terms of best practices when businesses start thinking through some of these things. You know, c- can you talk a little bit about what the different levels are? Like what's practical for me if I own a small business versus if I'm you know, a, a huge national chain or something like that?
1: So I can give, let's, um, let's give a quick overview and then we, and that'll touch on what, what you're asking. So with web accessibility, kind of, well, let's back up. And just to say with accessibility uh, across like all industries and whatnot, it's mostly the design of products, devices, services, or environments for people with disabilities. That's straight from uh, Wikipedia, by the way. So if we were to break it down into because we said disabilities, and that's a big that, that covers a lot of people, right? But if you of grouping into four main groups it's audio visual cognitive and physical disabilities mm-hmm. so if you cover those four areas then then you've made an accessible product or service uh, so when it comes to web design like with what we care about uh, like you said there are different levels that you have to shoot for most of sites are going to shoot for double a that's going to cover most of these areas and and you're going to end up with a pretty accessible website. Triple A is a little bit harder to achieve. And the things that you have to hit for triple A are much more difficult to do, but that's really not, if you shoot for, for double A, then you're, you're doing okay. Um,
0: and what are most of the sites that you've worked on, Nicole? Have they been double AA, A, triple A? Yeah. Make we sure. like to
2: think of it as like a, a level A, is something that you must satisfy. Like, this is something that you, you ought to have on your website, these levels, even if it's a small business or a large business. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, AA is what we try to shoot for here at LifeBlue always, no matter what. Um, these are things we should satisfy. Otherwise, some groups will find it difficult to access the web content. Mm-hmm. And then the AAA is something that we may satisfy, um, but they they are... Things like um, higher visual contrast or
0: something like that. What's a good example of a website that might be, uh, or like an industry that might be AAA compliant?
2: Yeah, a lot of the uh, government websites are AAA compliant, um, very black and white, but extremely accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and minimal, you know, images, definitely no images with text inside of them. Um, for instance, if you have. A video on your website and it needs to be AAA compliance to give you an idea of what that level is like you need um, you need your video of course and then you need a video with captions you also need a a PDF that has been transcribed uh, for the captions and you also need a separate recorded video of somebody doing sign language to Mm. explain what the information in the video is. So that gives you an idea of kind of the extreme (laughs) <laughs> rules they they sort of have for this level A AAA compliance and uh, those are mostly government websites. Yeah,
1: I mean, and if you think about it, the reason that a government website is going to be AAA is because it it really does have to be accessible to everybody, right? And so that's why a lot of government websites are not very visually appealing, hmm. but that's because they're trying to hit all of these these uh, guidelines that you have to to meet for color and, you know, font size and and all that good stuff. So these levels that we're talking about um, for web design, they come from the WCAG, which stands for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And so if you look that up, you can see an exhaustive list of each level and what each level entails as far as what to hit to achieve that level. And there's not really a an official like body out there that grades your website and tells you what level you have but these are just guidelines of, of what you can aim for um, and, and you know a lot of people put a statement at the bottom of their website that says hey you know we're trying to be accessible and we're working with the WCAG guidelines and we're doing our best to make an accessible experience for everybody mm-hmm. so let's talk about some quick examples here let's give some examples of what what an accessible website uh, means. So a lot of people, I think they go to alt images or alt text for your images, right? That's kind of the, oh, that's the, what you think of when you think of mm-hmm. accessibility. It's basically, hey, if there's an image on your website, you should provide a text alternative if somebody has their images turned off or if somebody is uh, visually impaired and can't see the image. yeah. So if they're using a screen reader and they get to that image the alt text will be read aloud to them. That's kind of the really basic, easy, uh, accessible uh, feature that you might think about. But there are lots of other ones. So, uh, Nicole, why don't you give us some examples of sort of the broad stroke kind of sections or yeah, categories
2: yeah. that we think about. Uh, there are some really uh, simple points that you can touch on your website if you're trying to make your website more accessible or hit certain level. Uh, some of those things might be like Travis mentioned, alt text for your images. If your images aren't showing up, or perhaps somebody can't see them, they need to know what that image is. And that's not saying this is an image of, uh, you know, a logo. Well, okay, let's explain it a little bit and describe what the image is. Um, you know, sort of put yourself in the person's shoes. Another thing might be text readability, whether or not the background... Uh, uh, sitting behind your text and the text color have a high enough contrast to be readable or even the text size, uh, that needs to be large enough to be readable as well. Um, we're going to talk about color and whether or not sh- you should have use color to portray meaning, meaning in your website. We can touch a little bit on forms and then also keyboard navigation.
1: Yeah, okay, so to your point about Alt text, right? So it's, you know, you basically you, you need to describe the image, right? But a lot of people don't think about um, how redundant it might be if the alt text actually says photo of and then it describes the photo. Like you don't need to say that because the screen reader will actually announce that it has reached an image. So again, to sort of enhance the experience for the user. Just describe the image, right? But also end with a period, which is something you don't.
2: Yeah, and that's something think about. I didn't even know. I've written so much alt text and no one ever told me.
0: I actually didn't you know that either. Period. Yeah, I learned that when you guys uh, presented at our Life Blue University. I, right. That was not a thing that I had known, and I used to write for an online publication and I would upload my pieces my articles and my images into the cms and i didn't realize that i needed to be putting a period at the end so when you told me that i went back through and i was trying to update them because i wanted to make sure that the screen reader reader would know that it you know was the end of the actual
2: yeah it just creates that natural pause at the end of reading the alt text rather than just running straight into the next thing yeah
1: and alt text is one of those things kind of like what you just pointed out that everybody a good portion of people besides just developers may end up writing alt text someday. If if we hand off a website to a client, we have to kind of educate them on that because the CMS that we create has fields for alt text Mm -hmm. and we're giving it over to them to write this alt text. So educating the client a little bit uh, with with best practices for things like that is something that we should do. Um, But let's talk about color contrast a little bit. Um, You touched on it briefly. But this, um, I think, like we said earlier, there's lo- there's a ratio that you can kind of aim for, for the text color and then the background that it sits on top of.
2: That's true. And it does uh, vary from level to level. So you can have a high enough contrast with your text and your background um, for one level, but maybe not for AAA. Uh, and I believe that ratio is one or three to one.
1: So I, yeah. So three to one for large text is what I have written down Mm -hmm. Four point five to one for normal size text. Um, So I couldn't tell you by looking at two colors, what the ratio is. So there are tools out there that you can use where you plug in like the hexadecimal value or whatever, Mm -hmm. plug in your two colors and it'll tell you what the ratio is. Maybe we can put that in the show notes on the website. Yeah. Um,
2: so and a lot of times I've run into projects where we've need to we've needed to go back and make a website more accessible. And sometimes it's just barely there. You know, this blue color against the black is almost enough of a ratio, but not quite. And it was just a matter of going back to the designer and saying, Hey, can we bump this theme color to a, a slightly darker color and that fixes everything for you.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe, uh, because of a project that you guys are, are recently working on, uh, you might have an answer. Maybe you don't, but what does that conversation look like when a client comes to you? Um, whether it's a fresh start or maybe they're coming back because of an, uh, an incident that they've had with their website or an issue and they say, Hey, we need to make this more accessible, but their branding colors are not accessible how do you approach that conversation when you're trying to translate that to the web to say hey we can't use these exact same colors because the you know the difference isn't great enough and this is what it might look like you know how do you anticipate clients receiving that what does that conversation look like i mean for us for the, for the industry how do we kind of tackle that when so many brands are already established you know is there is there a different expectation and precedent for the web or you know if i go to I don't know, McDonald's website, maybe the, I should expect that the yellow and the red look slightly different because it's on the web and I'm reading it on a screen versus seeing it on their packaging or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it. it's just a conversation of, um, well, for this particular section of the website or mm. for large body you know, text, we might not be able to use your brand colors because of accessibility. Uh, so you know let's darken you know I, I would i would say that it's probably more of let's just use black black text on a white background mm. you know i mean but you can design around stuff like that maybe you can introduce color in other ways where you don't have to have text sitting on top of it mm. you know use some accents here and there just to give the color pops and you could still use the the brand colors in those moments but it probably also depends on the client and what level of accessibility are they shooting for Mm -hmm. or if that's Mm -hmm. something that they need because like like you were saying with this website that we're currently working on we are, they are being sued and therefore we are reaching AAA for them. So obviously it's going to be a lot easier for us to get them on board with this kind of stuff because you have to. Yeah, I think
2: clients are uh, very open to making changes and uh, maybe something that 's been in existence for a long time, just yeah you know it's it's not about it 's not about you as a business anymore it 's about your people who are coming to you and if something about you needs to change to make that more accessible, I think clients are very open to that
0: well, I guess it 's kind of twofold right because one there there are mainly two approaches you can take right The first approach is empathy. hey, you might potentially be missing out on you know b- x percent what is it like eight percent of the population or something typically is is what this targets you know eight percent of the population that could be your customer you're you're ignoring for for no good reason when you could factor this in and if that doesn't work and they're like well we don't really care because it's gonna it might take more time or energy to do this than the other the other approaches. Well, someone got sued millions of dollars for this and you probably don't want that to happen. So, whether it whether it comes from, you know, the warm fuzzy place of empathy and wanting to make things accessible and and make them available to a broader audience or just from a risk evaluation pers- perspective of, you know, not exposing the business to li- liability for being sued for not making it accessible. Um, yeah,
1: hopefully um we can sort of, as a industry, start to just do this just as as the way that we code is just inherently accessible yeah. so that we don't have to get to the point where companies are, are getting sued.
2: And that's not a difficult thing. It can be something that is very low cost. You know, As long as the developers are educated and as they're coding, they're working toward accessibility, then it can be something that is still... Um, affordable, whether it's time-wise or resources or whatever it is, uh, as long as everybody's on board right up front, and it's not a reaction sort of thing.
0: When did this first really start to surface as a thing that you all were both more aware of in your careers in web development? Like, when did you become aware enough to start thinking about, well, I really need to make sure I have a period in the alt text, or I need to do a better job of describing this image, or Like this contrast doesn't look right or someone may not be able to read whatever I just created on a website or, you know, the text is in the image or something like that.
1: So I was first introduced to just the concept of web accessibility at the previous company I worked for. We were doing a redesign of the website Mm. and that was something that they needed to achieve. I don't think they were going for AAA, but it was a large jewelry retailer. That's all I'm going to say. Because we were just making fun of the website <laughs> earlier today, <laughs> the uh, website
0: that shall not be named. That's
1: right. Uh, it was a behemoth. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it was a behemoth of a of a re, uh, redesign. But that's when I first started going through the WCAGs and started to like think about all this kind of stuff. Uh, but really, not till I got at Life Blue that I really started to dive into it, mm. um, because I was doing more hands on coding than I had ever done before. And we were we have clients that like we had. Mentioned they're getting sued and
3: yeah, we, we have a couple of old
2: projects there. They were uh, yeah pursued for their accessibility and uh, that's something that we had to go back and sort of revamp a little bit, make sure it was up to par, and uh, something we certainly want to bake in now from the get go. Yes,
3: absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think that was something that you guys had used in your presentation too, if I remember correctly, walked through maybe at one point an example of some of the improvements that had been made to one of the sites mm-hmm. where we had issues with that, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really basic. Sometimes yeah. it's really basic stuff, too. So, um, let's keep going on some other examples here. So, Yeah,
0: talk through some additional examples this of one, some of that. Um,
1: this, this example here is something that um, I always like to go to because I think it's easy to sort of understand. But you were talking about color and meaning and how The goal is to not rely on color alone uh, to emphasize meaning behind something. So
0: So you mean like, hey, if I fill out this form, it turns green when I did a good job, and it turns red if I don't.
1: Exactly. So you can do that, but in addition to that, you need to have.
0: Shouldn't be the only way to tell me.
1: Exactly. Because if you're.
0: Like if the box is highlighted and then it turns green, if I can't see green, I'm not going to know any better. Exactly. Exactly, Yeah. Yeah. So
1: you want to have a message that says success. I'm going to be
0: trying to submit it and saying, I don't understand why it's not submitting because I typed this in the way I was supposed to.
1: The border changed, but I have no idea what that means. Yeah. So um, you're putting some helper text, if you will, if you fill out a form correctly that says, you know, um, success or fail, you know, and then. Not only that. great
0: job or you're terrible or you're, try again yeah,
1: you're, you're the worst person ever <laughs> um but giving like feedback to them like here like yes it's red and here's you know we've told you that it's an error but also telling them how to fix the error
3: yeah
1: um so like for a phone number field on a form if you put it in incorrectly you know tell them what format it's expecting mm-hmm. or even better would be to accept whatever format they give it to you and then have, the, have it on the back end, put it in the form that we need it to be in. That way it's less on the user and you know yeah. they don't have to worry about what format it's in. They seem to know that it's a phone number and that's that. But um, we, we have an example that we'd like to show in our presentation about like color swatches uh, for a product mm-hmm. page or something like that.
2: Like uh, a pair of shoes. Exactly. Uh, something you see very common on uh, e-commerce sites, what color would you like? And then you have a little grid of color blocks that are not always labeled.
3: Exactly.
2: And that can be a big problem for a lot of people who are colorblind. Literally cannot tell the difference between the colors.
0: Yeah.
1: They have to just gamble when they order what they think is going to be a blue shirt, and it comes back, and it's, it's not blue. <laughs> it's pink.
0: I had, in high school, I had an English teacher who was colorblind, so he would bring three ties to work with him every day, and he would make us pick out the tie that matched his shirt because he couldn't tell the difference. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. So he would come in and be like, which one? Which tie should I wear today, Caitlin? And I'd be like, you should wear that one because it matches. That's but that was fantastic. like my first exposure so to like, oh, that's what it's like to be, ca-. like, He can't tell the difference, and he doesn't want to look stupid.
1: Did you guys ever purposely tell him? like? Yeah, we tried to mess with him a little one. bit, yeah. and he'd be like...
0: I know you're messing with me. He's like, this is I, the only one that doesn't match any of my shirts.
1: <laughs> he's like, I bring this one because I know it's ugly. Know. Just to see if you guys are messing with me.
0: <laughs> but we did, um, when you guys presented that workshop, we did that exercise where you had all the mm-hmm. color swatches and it was, these are what the color swatches look like. These are what the color swatches look like if you're color blind. And I remember seeing those and I was like, oh, this is confusing. Yeah. A lot of, uh,
2: yeah. It's just a lot of.
0: It's like a lot of variations and similarities. Right. At the same yeah. time. But so, a way like, you
2: can avoid that is, is obviously the simple way is adding labels next mm-hmm. to the colors, or even something as simple as a tooltip when you hover over the color, so that they know that's the color they're selecting. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, let's touch on keyboard navigation a little bit. This is the one that I find most interesting because this is when you're starting to get into like functionality, mm-hmm. and like how a website. Works and interacts, or how a user interacts with the the website, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And could be one of the biggest issues when uh, people who have disabilities, and again, these could be permanent or temporary. And maybe you have your hands full with a baby, and you need to just use the keyboard. You can't use the mouse for whatever reason. Um, if you can't navigate around a website with just the keyboard, that can be a big problem. Mm.
1: Right. So basically, what we kind of a simple test that you can do is pull up your website don't use your mouse and see what happens cuz so a lot of times it's going to bail fantastically
0: for anyone not li- or for anyone listening who is not super techy and wants to know how you would do that what what's the key you would use to navigate a website if you weren't using your mouse
1: just start hitting the tab key okay and see what happens so what what should happen is you should know exactly where you are at any given moment on the website as far as like focus it's called focus keyboard focus or focus state so how do we try to do that
2: we try to do some sort of visual way of seeing where you are focused on the website so if we have navigation uh, a navigation menu up at the top every one of the uh, anchor tags would be highlighted with a box around it that just says, like, this is, this is the focus state. Um, any other user with a mouse who hovered over that item wouldn't necessarily have that focus state. This is purely for accessibility.
1: That's kind of what's nice about a focus state, or the focus... Um,
2: yeah, the focus, fo- yeah the focus
1: state is only going to be visible on keyboard interaction. So you can do some different things. Um, you can add some more emphasis to something besides just your standard hover state. Um, and again, you're only going to see it if you use a keyboard. So you're, you're literally doing something specifically for keyboard users, which and is And that's as
2: simple nice. as a CSS rule. Exactly. On, on focus, just like it's on hover, you can set rules for that. This one would just be for on focus. So it's not that difficult and definitely nice for a user who wants to know exactly where they're navigating on the page.
0: For example, if I go to the LifeBlue website and I start tabbing through, I uh, the way I know is it's showing me whatever the hover state is. It's doing that and then holding it so that I understand. A nice little like,
2: highlight box. Hey, I'm
0: on the culture tab or I'm on blog or contact or careers. and And then it changes like when you click on see the case study when you're when you're tabbed on that it actually changes the color of the entire box the background turns white so it's very clear to me and it starts to scroll down and it's it's very clear i can see at any point where i am exactly on the website
1: so that's the goal of keyboard accessibility Uh, but it extends to more than just focus states so it also deals with um being basically anything you can do with your mouse you should be able to do with a keyboard, either by tabbing to it or hitting the enter key or the space key. So, for example, like a modal, which is like an overlay pop-up mm-hmm. um, with a gallery in it, like a photo gallery, you should be able to open up that modal with the keyboard and you should be able to tab to and cycle through the gallery with mm. your keyboard. So sometimes that's not going to happen Automatically, you have to actually code that. Um, there are things that are, by default, usable by a keyboard, which is like an anchor tag or a button, and there's some other things as well, other elements. But if you're going to use anything other than those elements as your button, first of all, you shouldn't Whereas that.
2: anything that's focusable. But yeah,
1: anything that's focusable, then you need to add some JavaScript to make it to where if you hit the inner key or the space key, it you know, does the thing that you're trying to do.
2: And that's even related to the modal thing. Um, something that a lot of people can run into if your website is not accessible is if you don't make sure that your focus of your tabbing can get to the modal if it pops up. If you're suddenly stuck behind the modal focusing mm-hmm. on something behind that, that's a trap. Yep. It's a trap. <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's trap.
1: Exactly. So how you do that is you force the focus inside the modal the modal yeah or the you know drop down menu or whatever it is and and we can put the focus wherever we want mm. so basically what you would do is on enter when you pop up the modal you then focus set the focus inside the modal so then they can start to tab through mm-hmm. if you don't do that they're still on that button that they clicked enter to open up the menu and now they're tabbing and they have no idea where they are because the model is up, and their focus is still behind the model,
3: or
2: yeah.
1: Whatever, you know. So t- having to think through things like that is, is kind of
0: what what it comes down to.
2: Not a not a big coding hall. Just something that we have to think about.
0: That was actually going to be my next question was, you know, you guys talk about, use the word add a lot, right? Like Mm -hmm. add this to it, add that to it. Mm -hmm. When you think of the grand scheme of maybe any project, whether it's something that comes back and, you know, you're handling as a support thing, or maybe in terms of starting a new project from the ground up on a a project build, a website build, how would you quantify the amount of time? Whether it's, you know, I guess which part is more laborious? Is it the actual coding of these things or... Is it the like approach and thinking through each of each of them um, that takes, I guess, more effort and more time? And what would be the, kind of the total time add or cost um, to do these things to make projects accessible?
2: I think the biggest amount of time would be upfront. Yeah, I think like the strategy. It's the developer's responsibility through. to learn this stuff. Yeah, and to know what to look for. And where to add these things, or mm-hmm. you know, if if they have a certain project that's adding a new feature, if you haven't studied up on web accessibility as a developer, then that's sort of just costing you time mm. because you probably will have to go back and redo it and mm. add the things that you missed. Um, if you are aware of those things and you have done your research and spent the time to do the research and study this up, up, then you, you know, you you know what to add or what to look for Um, and it could be as simple as a single attribute in an html element adding an aria label for your your input on a form Mm -hmm. uh, that allows the screen reader to read what's going on here you know if you already know that and you've taken the time and you've spent the time to learn that then not much time at all when you're actually developing
0: Rather than going back and having to add it all later and figure it out where, where does it go? How does it work? kind of thing.
2: I would say, if that's the case, if you are one of those developers who are just learning this sort of thing, then um, yeah, that really depends on you know the, the size of your sites and the amount of images you have or that sort of thing. But I would say you know at least a few days' work hmm. for a decent website to get everything back up to par to pass
0: gotcha
2: okay
1: i would also say that probably the biggest time suck would be having to go back and make a site accessible that yeah. wasn't accessible to begin with cuz then you have to if you didn't have an alt tag on every image now you have to go back and write that and yeah. add that and add the proper aria labels and all that kind of stuff so it is worth the investment to do it as you're as you're developing even if the client isn't asking for an accessible website they might get sued Mm -hmm. in a year or two and then you're going to have to go back and go through all this I think I
2: heard a number at one point for just the year 2018 there were over 10,000 lawsuits Mm. for ADA compliance and we're not talking about like Oh, my child wants to go to you know a museum, and I can't buy tickets with just the keyboard. And that's really important to me because this is something they need to learn. It could just be a restaurant, you know, something you're not even thinking about that this should be accessible. Um, yeah. You know, that's not necessarily the case. And so, I think this is something that's becoming a larger thing. It's definitely something that we're trying to lay more guidelines for, mm-hmm. um, and that's just good development to know this, and to be coding this way up front.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we can revisit in the future. And once we're kind of wrapped up with the current client that we're helping out, we, and we have a little bit more of a case study. We're hoping that we might be able to present that at a conference or at least we'll, you know, we can sit down with some of the team, including Travis, um, who have been working on it. And we can kind of talk through some of those issues a little bit more and maybe how we decided to approach it and how it's In discussing with one of the designers today, it's affected our approach just from a design perspective of how we start to think about these things when we're working with clients as well. Um, But what else uh, do you guys have on the list? Anything else that you were kind of walking through? I
2: mentioned briefly a little bit about forms and ARIA labels for inputs and that sort of thing. That's Mm. something that I've had to work through a lot when we go back through a site to make it more accessible. um, A lot of times there are a lot of forms on the site, whether it's to fill out a newsletter or sign up for something or, you know, purchase something. It's difficult if somebody needs to go through a form and tab through the form and let's say they're blind. You know, if you don't know what this field is, how in the world are you going to know
3: mm-hmm.
2: what to put in the field, especially if it's required? That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, that's just an attribute an attribute that you add to the input label or perhaps you wrap the input or not the input you an attribute you add to the input element excuse me and then perhaps you wrap the input in a label element that's also another way there are a couple of different ways you can do it but Mm. in any in any regard you have to have some way to tell the person with a screen reader that that's what this field is yeah I think that can I think that's also, one of the biggest frustrations for somebody who does have a disability to go in and not be able to fill out a form because they have no idea what that field is for. Yeah. And the
1: thing about forms is a lot of times it's like, that's going to prevent you from signing up for an account or purchasing an item. So yeah. it's really important to yeah. make them accessible.
0: That could be the, the tipping point for a business in terms of a customer. I mean, I can think of several times where I've given up on a form or given up on something because I just can't get through it and I can't figure out what the issue is. You know, it's kind of like, um, even I think through not not quite accessibility stuff, but even just thinking of those reCAPTCHA things where it's like, pick all the cars. And I'm like, none of these photos are of cars and they're all blurry. And I don't know how this is helping anyone. You just get so frustrated. You're like, I don't even remember what I was trying to verify, but I don't even care anymore. I don't even want to do it.
1: And you're like, that sort of looks like the bumper of a car. Yeah.
0: You're like, is that, I don't know if that's a storefront or a bus. Yeah, the storefront. I don't really know. (laughs) But it's. that you know, wide open. you get to the point where you're like, this is just crazy. Or like when you can't figure out what you did wrong with a the form, they're really good ones. Like when you, when you get to something, it'll scroll you back up to where the issue was. Like if you're filling out something really right. long and it'll even have like an arrow that points to it. Like this is the part you didn't fill out. Right. Yep. You know? And if that's you didn't... the part
2: where like you can't use just color as yeah. meaning. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Need so that's that wrong here.
0: Definitely.
1: Right. So another kind of fun example uh, with forms is the CTA or the button mm-hmm. that you have to push to submit the form.
0: The call to action. The
1: call to action. Um, we we like to uh, to talk about, you know, oftentimes it's like go or enter. But that doesn't really or tell submit. the user. Or submit. It's like, well, <laughs> the
0: old default exactly. there. Exactly.
1: So uh, part of accessibility is making it um, a descriptive uh, action mm. button. So... If they are trying to log into their account, make it say access your account mm. so that when you click on it, you know exactly what to expect when you click on it versus go because it's like, well, go where, you know, yeah, where that's exactly really is it taking me?
0: Good point. I would definitely take that for granted that I just assume, you know, but even sometimes when you're filling out a form and maybe it's it's even just collecting your information, you're like, I don't know where it's going to, is it going to send me back to the homepage? Is it going to? You don't really know where it's going to send you. So to be able to be more transparent definitely seems like it would be everybody is benefiting from that, not even just people who need the accessibility. Absolutely. I, mean, I think it can be the difference
2: between a user actually following through as well. When they're going to submit something, if they're confused on what, where their information is going, they may not trust the source or they may not know if that's something that they actually want to do and may back out at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we like to do here at Life Blue, not just from an accessibility standpoint, but just for everyone, like you were talking about, is not only helping out with the wording of what's happening when you're submitting the form, but mm. also giving sort of a visual, maybe like a little icon in the button that says, okay, you're leaving the site now. Mm. So we're going to show sort of a little portal icon that shows that you're leaving so that you're not confused when that happens.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's kind of one of those... Uh, I guess one of my favorite episodes of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, another great podcast. Oh, shout out! Uh, they have an episode on curb cutting. The idea of curb cutting, different things in design, like we have curb cuts so that wheelchairs can access sidewalks. It's kind of one of those things where it was originally designed for people in wheelchairs, but it benefits tons of people, right? Like right. Mom, mom pushing a stroller is you know great. Someone rollerblading or on a you know on something with wheels, anything with wheels or an elderly person who maybe can't step up over the curb. It's kind of that same idea, not as extreme of an example, but like the more descriptive we're forced to be, it benefits everybody, not just someone who doesn't have the accessibility. And that's
2: the kind of perspective I like to have with web accessibility is we're not talking about people, you know, who are born with these physical disabilities and they've had to live with it their whole life. This may be somebody without any like permanent disabilities, but it may be completely situational. Mm -hmm. And so it may be more than just that 8% that you're looking at, you know, if you don't have a form that's accessible and this person can't do whatever they're trying to do while you're just losing out on that business.
0: Yeah. And like the, um, the Microsoft chart, I know that you've used that, that uh, has all the images of situational versus permanent versus temporary uh, disability. So you know, like you had mentioned before, maybe a mom who's holding a baby, you know, that's a, that's a situational disability that limits, you know, what you can do with your hands because you're not going to take your hands off your child while you're holding them. But maybe you still need to do something on your cell phone or on your, on your or, laptop. Or
2: even uh, like distracted drivers, Yeah, uh, which should not be a thing. Y'all don't do that. Well, or, now, you know, we talk about saving lives. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the greatest example is, you know, we all watch like, you know, I'll, Watch a YouTube video while I'm sitting at my desk. Well, I'm not going to have like the volume up on it or something. So I want closed captioning. It's that same idea of like a mm-hmm. situation where, you know, I'm in a doctor's or office, you're in and a loud I bar, to, yeah, and you can't hear anything. You can't hear it, or you're in a doctor's office waiting room and you're not mm-hmm. going to try blasting something. So you need to have exactly. that, that, um, you know, that available so that you can still consume the content or do accomplish whatever the task is. So I think that's a lot of what people don't think about. When they think accessible, they're like, Oh, someone in a wheelchair, and you're like, no. Oh, I mean, it's it touches all of us at some point in our lives. I mean, I I got in a car accident once and sprained my shoulder, and I had to walk around with a sling, and I couldn't really use my my left arm. And so you think about all the things that become difficult with that. So I think I think as an industry moving towards empathy and trying to figure out how do we include more people instead of just pushing on and saying, well. Kind of sucks to suck if you're those customers because we we don't have time or money or whatever it is. I think I hope to continue to see a shift in that attitude and mindset because I think time and time again we're learning that it proves to be just better business to take the approach of inclusion Absolutely. versus for sure versus not.
1: So you've given the this presentation to Women Who Code a couple of times. Yes. Are there any uh, questions that? Get asked to you like common misconceptions or just w- what are they usually asking you about?
2: I'd say the busy? yeah I'd say the most common question uh, that I get is okay so that's great and everything and I'm totally on board and I want to do this but now how do I check to make sure that my website passes or what level is my website at at this point? So there are some pretty sweet um, tools, especially now there there have been so many tools that have been developed over the past few years. To be able to check your website and uh, it does a quick scan of the the basic code and checks to make sure like you have a labels for your form uh, entities and that sort of thing enough color contrast it checks for all of those things. There are paid services and there are free services. If you want to just do a quick scan of your site or really any site, there are some sweet little uh, Chrome extensions that you can use. One is called uh, Site Improve. That's also a paid version, uh, has a paid version if you would like to use it that way, uh, where you can um, literally crawl your entire site and get a log of every single page and whether or not that is is accessible. Or you can just use the extension and do a quick scan of the the page that you're on, whether it's your site or somebody else's site, just to check it out and make sure that everything's cool. Another one that um, just released, actually by Microsoft, uh, is accessibility insights? That's a, a nice little Chrome extension. I really like the look of that. I'm very excited to see what kind of features they develop and mm. you know how to make this better. Uh, but for now, it's it's looking really great. Definitely recommend that. Maybe uh, another one is called Dino Mapper. Or if you're a Firefox addict, you can use Fire Eyes. That one's purely only for Ooh. Firefox. Yeah, Fire, Fire Eyes. <laughs> Eyes. I know Ooh. it sounds so. Sounds
0: very scary, dragony. Game of Thrones. Yeah, fire eye. So those
2: are a couple of tools that you can use. But that's the main question I get: is like, okay, I don't know how to check to make sure my website's accessible.
0: Well, it sounds like you just gave them a whole list of reasons why they don't have any excuses. No yeah. excuses now. You can there's always a check. A
1: lot of ways to.
0: So if you're a developer help. who's listening, there's no excuses. You and it's zero. and it's
2: really great. It'll it'll hone in on your actual code and highlight what needs to be fixed. And then we'll also direct you to uh, the guidelines, the official guidelines, to tell you, here's what's wrong, here's why, and here's how you need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes making your
0: website accessible so much easier. So apart from having, you know, if they've just listened to us talk about all of this stuff, if I'm a developer and I just maybe want to go out and read some stuff on my own, you know, where are you guys consuming I assume that kind of official uh, entity that you had mentioned at the beginning, I'm going to get the acronym wrong if I try to spell it out. WG something,
2: something. WCAg. W-C-A-G. 2.0. Just rolls off the tongue. (laughs) To be official. Um,
0: I assume that's probably the best place for anybody to start, but maybe are there any other resources that you guys recommend in terms of uh, maybe any case studies to read or just some you know developer touch points on where you can go to consume some of this stuff? Oh, there are 101 articles online
2: written about web accessibility. A lot of them give you the main points that you can hit with your website to make your website accessible, and a lot of those will um, probably bring your your accessibility up to almost a AA level if you were just to follow any one of those articles. <laughs> Obviously, you can read the WCAG uh, guide and... Uh, There are a couple of common websites like w3.org and um, CSS Tricks and a couple of those who have also really focused on this and given you more of a digestible layout of what's going on. But what I like to tell people is literally just Google it, and there are so many resources and a lot of information out there that's very consumable that makes it easy to understand what web web accessibility is, is and how you can achieve it
0: on your website. So we'll make sure in the show notes we'll put one of those let me google that for you links yes with, uh, yeah. yes web right, accessibility right. as the as the search
1: But the, yeah there are some some websites out there that are devoted to it that are good resources like accesslab.com Okay. I'm not going to spell it it's spelled differently so we'll just put it in the show notes like we were saying earlier. Okay. The Ally Project um, and that's a11y Mhm. I forgot what the A one
2: one one of I, A11y A11y
1: A one one Y. Ally project. Ally project. uh, There's a specific like significance to the one one. I forgot what it what it stands for, but
0: it's okay. Yeah. It'll just intrigue people to go and learn more about it. Now, right? That's right. We're not exactly. even gonna. T- we're keeping it a secret. Actually, we do know. We just we're not gonna tell you. So that you should go visit yeah, yeah, the website. Why
1: don't you tell us what it means.
0: <laughs> why don't you tweet at us? Get at us. And a lot of these
2: yeah. people have really sweet tools that you can use. So you have your whole you know website checker that tells you exactly where you need to fix things. But if you have something that's say color contrast that you mm-hmm. want to make sure it's all good, and there are plenty of tools. Uh, Web Aim which
0: is stands for Web
2: Accessibility in Mind. Oh,
0: I thought you were going to say, like, Web, you know, AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah.
2: Yes, yes, AOL Instant Messenger. Just go check that out. You're good. WebAIM. WebAIM. Uh, it stands for Accessibility in Mind. They have a couple of tools on their website that allow you to check things like color contrast or something like that. Um, they also have some videos that can teach you a little bit about Web ac- Accessibility and some introductions to that. Um, and just the the WCAG checklists and a lot of different resources. So
0: there's
1: a ton of stuff out there.
0: That's fantastic. I think you guys have given people an incredible jumping-off point if they are not super familiar with accessibility or maybe they're just getting into web development, maybe they're in a code school or something, or just coming out of college and don't really know what some or of this I've stuff is. Or have done this is. for
2: years and just are oblivious. Yeah, yeah, which is
0: also the case. a in lot of it
1: is just, you know, yeah, It's okay, we so. still love you. That's,
0: yeah. yeah, we're here to tell you this is a judgment-free zone. If you are one of those developers or maybe a designer who has not been so accessibility-minded, that's okay. And we hope that you reach out and use some of these resources and maybe start thinking about your projects a little bit differently and discover some things that can help make that super easy for you because we think it should be super easy. Uh, top of mind when you're approaching products so for sure absolutely fantastic well thank you guys uh, for chatting about this and and listing out all the resources Um, Nicole if people want to find you maybe online and learn a little bit more about you or connect with you where can they do that are you are you on the tweets are you on the insta I'm on the twitters I I mostly want them to see uh, photos of you and your adorable family and your little that's where
2: yes that's where you'll find them I am on Twitter
0: internet stalk you yeah maybe check um, you check you out on github
2: My handle for Twitter is Nikki, that's N-I-K-K-I underscore win, which happens to be my middle name. It's Mm W-Y-N-N, so Nikki underscore win, and uh, I like to tweet about a lot of things that are happening in tech these days. Um, Don't go back in my... (laughs) slew of what is it like 9000 tweets now because it's been an active account for a little while (laughs) you might find some pretty embarrassing things for sure um but then if you want to check me out on the instagrams i'd love to see you there um you can my handle is nicole n-i-c-o-l-e and then win just like my middle name again w-i-n-n and that's all one word nicole win
0: awesome so they can, they can internet stalk you there and see adorable photos of uh, your husband and son. They're super cute. You got to go online and look. Ollie's the cutest. They
2: are the cutest. And one more on the way,
0: a little girl. She's coming in October. Yay! So stay tuned. Party of four. I love it. That's right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And Nicole's going to be back with us uh, hopefully pretty soon. We're going to get her in here with another of our coworkers, Johnny Pacheco, and talk about the great divide in front-end development dun. dun, dun. now that we've
1: said his name, dun, he has to dun,
0: do it. Dun. He does. <laughs> he Johnny has Pacheco. a better radio voice than any of us, so he should be excited, too.
1: It's like, you yeah. know, what's it called?
0: Sultry. Dia. The sultry yeah. tones of Johnny Pacheco. Smooth jazz. Smooth, smooth, <laughs> jazz, smooth jazz voice. Jazz. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The quiet, yes.
1: quiet storm with Johnny Pacheco. <laughs> now Indeed. that we've hyped
0: him, he has to join. He has no choice. Right. Exactly. So exactly. Awesome. He's, hi- he's
1: hiding out in Disney World right now. <laughs> so he can avoid us. Oh,
0: bummer. <laughs> all right well we will sign off for now but thank you and uh yeah catch us next yeah, time absolutely. on that, on that
2: episode thanks nicole absolutely happy to be here thanks guys